Pages turning, bridges burning, chapters ending. Hopefully, before all this is said and done, I'll be able to display my truths and all of who I am. For now, it's ego and arrogance play band-aid cover-up to the secrets I no longer wish to conceal like dirty handguns. Rather turn the barrel on myself than admit the weaknesses of this mortal man. Rather learn to live with than to burden others with trivial sorrows. Eternal battles with self and I. Lying to protect pride. Lying to cover what's inside. What's a white lie times 99? It equates to losing your soul. Losing you. Caught in the threads and webs, awaiting the poison of the widow's bite. To a rose, skin and bone, to a ghastly heat. Dissolve me from this world where I feel like I should not be. Hello and welcome to The Double Life. I'm John Boostar, and this is episode six. This week, I sat down with Antoine Weldon, a writer, a poet, designer, and a person of color who has lived on both coasts across the United States of America. I hope that these times have encouraged you to seek different perspectives, to understand a different point of view. I know it has for me. This has been a very insightful conversation and something that gave me a different perspective on the world, and I hope it does the same for you. I hope it gives you a better understanding of why people are protesting right now and fighting against the injustice in this country. The poem you just heard was from Antoine Weldon, my guest this week, and someone who I implore all of you to listen to very closely. Enjoy. Well, uh, so like childhood wise, I, uh, so I grew up in California until the age of, to the age of, I was in sixth grade. So like 11 mm-hmm. and, uh, I moved around a lot. Like, uh, like at first my parents were together. So we lived in, uh, El Segundo or off of El Segundo in Gardena. And, uh, that was a very interesting childhood. Like, uh, you know, it was very, uh, uh, crime riddled neighborhood, you know, a lot of like restrictions on things you could do, but it was funny as a kid, I didn't realize it. Cause you know, it's just the world I was growing up in. So everything seemed normal, but once, uh, once my, actually, once my parents got divorced, that's when I started to see more of the world and being like, oh, like, you know, with the where I was living before, just that just wasn't normal. Like, you know, it was just very, like, poverty-stricken, you know, people just, like, you know, fighting nail and teeth to survive. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Well, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say, like, poverty-stricken and, like, highly policed, you know, like, monitored, which is, yeah. I think, like, I don't know, man, to hear that straight from your mouth of like that. That's literally how, you know, the cities that I grew up in. And now I think it's like right now, everything that's happening is shedding a lot of light to people understanding that and going like, Oh fuck that like exists, you know? And I think for a lot of people, they didn't even know that was a real, you know, and it wasn't like a part of their community and a community that's like very close to the community that, you know, a lot of people live in, in different parts, you know, it's like small little communities next to you might be a lot different. Yeah, no, very, you know, uh, you know, the distance between, you know, Los Angeles County and Orange County, you know, yeah, it, it's exactly. a nighting day culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny that you, you say that you brought up like, uh, you know, people not realizing, you know, that perspective. Uh, I was talking to my older brother like two, day, 
two days ago about like just everything that had been going on. And, you know, I had all these feelings like pent up and going on about it. And, you know, he just, you know, because at the time I was just like angry and I really wanted something to happen, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a big change of force. And he kind of like uh, shocked me a little bit because he was like, man, you, you need to realize how much things have changed. Because he was like, you know, my brother is six years older than me. So when we lived in those bad neighborhoods, you know, he was like a teenager. And, you know, so he had, he had to adapt to his surroundings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he started getting involved in gangs and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, he kind of pointed out to me, he was like, yo, when like we had friends who, you know, kids or like we, you know, uh, you know, neighbors who were killed when it got put on the news, it was just like black man and, and urban neighborhood got shot. Like it wasn't no names, no hashtags, no, let's yeah. go out and march for this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that really set me back. I was like, wow. Like, yeah, like, when I, when I was a little kid, it was just, you saw it on TV, somebody died and then on to the next story. Right. Man. And yeah. now, now we get it to where, you know, there's actually people, you know, not just the family members or the friends who are directly affected. You see it sweeping across like full communities and states and cities. Like it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that's a really, really positive thing that has, you know, obviously come out of just an absolute, travesty but the thing is a quote that i saw was that you know racism isn't you know now coming to the forefront it's like now it's being you know televised and videotaped and put on a public scale which it wasn't before you know and i think now it's opening people's eyes to something that maybe they haven't seen because a lot of people across this nation didn't grow up the same way as you and your brother, you know, they haven't seen that firsthand. So for them, when they see something like that happen, it's mind blowing, you know, and that is the power of something where it's reaches such a global group because people all across the country and all across like the world are supporting this, you know? And that's yeah. like the beautiful thing about it. So people, beautiful. Yeah. People. Uh, in like, it, it, mm-hmm. It's surprising. It, it's, it's definitely surprising. Yeah. I didn't expect, like I expected things, you know, people to come together, but just from the president that was set in the past or how people react to this, I wasn't expecting this level of support. Yeah, for sure. So when you grew up, did you find that you said you didn't initially feel like, did you feel like you were different or did the community that you live in, was it predominantly people of color and you, it didn't really stick out to you that you were different at all? Um, well, it stuck out to me that I was very different, but I was only different because of how strict my mom was. My mom is, my mom is, a, she's, my mom is from the Caribbean islands of uh, the Bahamas. Hmm. And so that technically makes me first generation to be raised in America. And, my mom saw how blacks were portrayed in America and did not want her kids to be seen in the same light. So a lot of the stuff that I tried to adapt to around, she didn't let, let it happen. Like my older brother was hard because, you know, he's a teenager. He's out about when he wants to. And that's really the main reason why I originally uh, moved from California. So my mom wanted to put me and my brother into better neighborhoods. So she had to work three jobs just so I could live in like a, you know, a well-to-do white neighborhood in Florida and go to, uh, you know, uh, advanced place, advanced placement schools and stuff like that. Man, that's rough. That's yeah. what was her image of black people in America when she came over here? Was that a portrayal of like how the media that she was looking at and like American media obviously isn't great, but then coming from the, 
you know, you said the Caribbean islands. Yeah, Caribbean. oh, the uh, Bahamas. Bahamas, sorry. Yeah, yeah so the island from, Bahamas. It did was it something where like the media or the people over there were like, hey, you know, but that's obviously maybe coming from like the American media pushing that over there. Um, it was more of because uh, my family, you know, they would come to Florida. You know, Florida was their their view of the uh, how America was, and mm. you know, my mom, you know, my mom, she was born in '55, so she, you know, in her, in her like late teens to 20s, so it's like 70s, 80s. You know, uh, looking at what's going on in Miami, she's just seeing like you know just like the rap culture and how they degrade women and then how in the news, like black people are just getting killed or just seen as like thugs and hustlers. So she just didn't like that. And like, even to the, the language, cause she, she herself wanted to adapt to be like, you know, an ideal American citizen. You know, she's applying for a green card. So she wants to, you know, fix up her accent. So it's not as thick on her, you know, American words. And so she just wanted that for her son. So like us being born here, she was like, I'm not going to let like what the ignorance of what's around us influence my children. Like, uh, like, especially on my mom's side, like, you know, uh, in the Bahamas, like my family comes from like, you know, doctors and nurses and stuff. And then like, um, her father, uh, was chief of police for a while in in their community. So like we came from like pretty prevalent people, uh, in the Bahamas. So she just expected a lot from us and didn't want our, our family line to get watered down from us just coming to America. Yeah. Okay. I get that. I understand that. Wow. Was it interesting to see like the transition between living, you know, initially in California and then moving to Florida, what was the biggest change in that? Did you immediately feel like a huge change or was it subtle? Oh no, super huge change. Cause, um, like, the school I was going to and in California, you know, uh, it was mainly, I was living at the time before I moved to Florida, uh, my mom was living out in Rialto. And so the school out there was just predominantly Mexican kids. So, you know, I was, I was used to that, mm-hmm. but when I moved to Florida, it was just like the, the slang was different. The kids at the school, like it went from like just Mexican kids. And then now you have like, you know, your your Cubans, your Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, and then you also have your Jamaicans, your Haitians. So it's just a lot of uh, uh, Caribbean, more Caribbean culture out there. But uh, I've, me personally, I feel like people on the East Coast are more aggressive. So that was definitely something new for me to adjust to. Okay. How, um, more aggressive in what way? Just like how they carry themselves? Yeah, how they carry themselves. Like it's like... Um, like in the West Coast, I felt like everybody was like more like friends, helping hand, like community. Uh, East Coast is more like individual based from my perspective. Like it was very much like, uh, well, the way I, I like to explain it to people is like in California, like gang wise, you, you have to worry about gangs. But then when you go to Florida, you got to worry about drug dealers. It's like hmm. it, it's a person you're worrying about. But in California, it's groups you're worrying about. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Man. So initially, what did you connect with, you know, your mom's community and your own heritage and stuff a little bit more when you moved over there? Did you find that you were able to connect with like leaders within that community and different things and you were presented with like a little bit more self-identity? Um, 
Well, growing up, uh, every summer I, I've always gone to the Bahamas. So my mom oh, has awesome. always like kept me in roots with my, with her side of the family. And like, uh, if I'm being frank, like the, I identify more as a Bahamian man than as a black man, mm-hmm. but that's mainly because of how black is portrayed in America. Sure. Yeah. I feel, I feel more comfortable saying that I'm a, I'm a Bahamian man. Cause I feel like we're held to different standards. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Which yeah. is just, you know, exactly ties into why, you know, things are happening the way that they are because there are different standards and there are different precedents that are set on people, you know, even from man, like it isn't even about, I think, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong in any way, but I feel mm-hmm. like it isn't necessarily like white, brown, black. It's like, there are shades within that that are discriminated against, you know, it's like no, very, very much so. Like, uh, one thing that I thought, you know, was kind of funny when I moved to Florida, it was like, Oh, if you're Bahamian, you don't like Jamaicans. And it's like, wow. Okay. Why not? Cause like, you know, I didn't grow up in the Bahamas, you know, so my ear isn't as like, you know, selective, but like, if you put a Jamaican and a Bahamian man in a room and have them talk, like you're not going to be able to point the difference out of what they're saying. So, or how they look like if you just ask anybody off the street. So it was weird that like, Oh yeah, we don't fuck with them. Okay. I guess so. Yeah. Was that something that, you t- did you talk to your like you know your brother your mom or anything about that and like ask them if that was something that was a common belief or where they were like oh that was kind of weird or how'd they feel um, about it what's funny is like when like i remember like asking about it and the responses i got were just like it's more it seemed like it was in more of a playful way but there are some like there are some people who are like serious about it that they, you know, they just, they're more, they, they take pride in where they're from and they only mess with the people that where they're from. Right. Yeah. But in like, what's funny is like within my same family, we have Jamaicans. So it was like, it's just something that they like to just to say, just to say it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is um, I think from a really early age, you were aware of, like race and discrimination. And I think like, even for me, I'm not someone who's like suffered a ton, but I still am someone who's a person of color in America. And since the day that I like set foot in this country, I knew that I was different. And I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, a real feeling of knowing that you're different. And I think that that is, I don't know, not identified enough. I don't think people understand that there's a huge you know, the majority, you know, it's like minorities are now the majority of people in, a, in America and they all wake up every day and they feel different. And that's kind of, yeah. it's a trip, man. Yeah. And the saddest part is about it. I like that you, you know, you brought up from a very young age, I was aware of it because like how my mom didn't want me, my brother had to be like that, especially once we moved, you know, you know, she, you know, she made sure like our grammar was on point. Like we weren't using like slang words. We weren't mm-hmm. like cussing out the top of our mouths every chance we could and and uh, with that that made us different from within our own community like when I moved to Florida they were like oh you sound like a white boy and I was like nah this is my voice and it's like no you sound like a white boy you're a California dude what's up dang yeah and then it's funny because after being in Florida for a while and I come out here to visit and they be like oh you sound like you you from Florida you sound like you from the south 
the right. heck? Yeah. So you can't, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter either way that you're going to. Yeah. Have. And this is like people, you know, within my own family, like, and like, even to this day, like what I, I find it to be sad is that like, I think part of the issue with the whole race thing is that we start to separate things and be like, if you're only this, you can only do that. And like within my family, like all my interests, every interest that I have, it's seen as like, they call me a white boy. They call me and my brother a white boy because like, I, I'm, I'm hella into art. I like to, I like to skateboard. I snowboard, like I'm outdoors, like any chance I get, like I'm super about meditation and holistic stuff, but I get labeled as other just because my interests don't fit a stereotype. Yeah. Which is insane. Did you feel like that from a young age that like the opportunities or expectations that were put upon you, were they different than the, you know, your peers and the people around you? People were like, oh yeah, Antoine, you need to go play basketball and blah, blah. You can go play baseball. Did, was there any of that? Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just growing up black. Like, it's mm -hmm. like yeah, your parents drill it into you. It's like uh, with my mom, she was, you know, somebody who her time was very valuable and she was like, if I'm going to be taking you to stuff, it has to be something that's going to help benefit you in the future. So it's like, what are you, you going to, you going to play sports or you're going to, you know, have really good grades or, you know, like what, you know, what is it, what's your plan? And this is me like a 11 year old, like, what's my plan? And it's like, well, shoot, like <laughs> I was just hoping to make it to seventh grade. You know, I have no idea. Yeah. What were the, like your interests at the time? Were you listening to music and like what kind of artists and different things like that. Cause I know that's a major part of your life now, at least last time we talked, it was a big part and you're making music that was really great. And I know that's always, you know, been something that you're interested in. Was it that time in your life, something where you started to explore more stuff and kind of start to figure out where you wanted to go? Um, I wouldn't say at that time, um, I have always been a poet and I always consider myself a poet before like music. Hmm. And that's something my mom always encouraged was like me writing. It was, I never, I, throughout my life, I always had people telling me I should go into music, but I never wanted to be another black boy trying to be a rapper. Right. So there was that attached to it too. Yeah. Was there certain yeah, I, things that you just straight up didn't want to go down because it was stereotypically the path that was expected of you? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Like, uh, like, football being elite at sports or just like like one thing just me personally in my life um i feel like i've always had a fight with is like hyper masculinity because i was like on my mother's side she has 11 sisters and you know wow. once my parents split it was just my mom and her sisters raising me so i was very you know i was raised in a lot of like feminine energy so like I, just me personally i feel like a lot of like the masculine uh roles in the world i've always been trying to trying to like fit into because uh, some of it's just not me. Like, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm putting on a front just to fit around. Yeah. And do you think that was also, man, I mean, growing up, did it feel during that time, just a, a constant struggle of trying to fit in, you know, each room yeah. that you stepped into, did you have to be someone or act a certain way in order to not upset people? Yeah, I did that a lot growing up. Like I, I, I put on uh, the persona to fit in the right places. Dang. And, he, and yeah. it wasn't, wow. So like the interest that you had and I guess 
hearing backlash and different things about certain things that you were doing, it didn't deter you from following it because you were still passionate about it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a very emotional person, but I have a hard time speaking out on those emotions. So creativity was always something I could do when I'm like secluding myself in those moments where I should have been talking to somebody, but I would seclude myself in like, whether it's right or just like zone out to music. Yeah. And with the whole like hyper masculinity thing, is it something that you and your brother, is it just you and your brother? Is that it? Sibling wise? Um, uh, that grew up with my mom. Yeah. But, uh, I have two sisters through my dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then my older sister grew up, she lived with us for a while and then she moved with her mom. And how is that? Like, is it, I mean, and once again, it's somewhat stereotypical, right? For it to be growing up without a father in the black community. That's a common stereotype, right? Yeah, very much. Was that something that when that happened, did that tear you up in a different level of just a normal divorce? Was it something where you were just like, fuck now? That's, that's something I still deal with to this day, man. Like, um, like my whole, my whole, like, uh, like who I am was really affected by my parents' divorce. Cause it was like, for me, it was like, I had a lot of trauma growing up and it was just compiled, especially like the year my parents got divorced. I had an aunt and uncle who were murdered. And that was really when I was starting to get like the concept of death. And then my parents come and lay down that they're getting divorced. And then my mom's super hurt. So she tells me what my dad did, you know, my dad did, and you know, he stepped out on my mom. That's how I have my younger sister is only like four months apart from me. So, you know, I had to deal with all that. And then, you know, my dad has come around now that he's, you know, in his later years in life. But like when I was young, he was very much just trying to lie to me so I could still be, you know, so, you know, be loving towards him. And, and, you know, as I grew up, I saw a lot of like this, you know, the lies that he covered from me and it made it hard for me to, you know, just be fully open with him and reach out to him. And yeah, it was just, it, it, that was just something that really like, it took away a lot of my confidence as a person. Cause you know, you know, I saw myself as a part of my dad and he was doing something to like separate that, you know? And then like, even when it, it finally happened, like he just disappeared. Like he was, you know, when we all talked about it, it was like, you know, we're going to, you know, try to make stuff work as a family. And then like, he just dipped one day. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. That's hard. That's, I mean, I can't even imagine that's difficult and it's something that, yeah, it would leave a mark for a really long time. And I think that changes your, perspective not only about you know the dynamic of a family and relationships but also just the dynamic of a father and then also having to I guess seek out another father figure or find some sort of guidance in a different way that you know yeah and honestly I didn't I didn't find a lot of like that like and and that's where my issues with masculinity comes from uh, to to be honest because it was just like like my dad's a very, you know, he grew up in a different time. So he's very much your like typical male, you know, like he, he feels empowered with, you know, his job and the money he makes and the kind of women who like to involve themselves with him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I saw a lot of that in him, you know, he likes, you know, a nice flossy car, you know, he talks about sports and all that. So a lot of that stuff, I just like, 
didn't want to deal with it, you know? And then, you know, years go by and you know, my, my aunts are helping nurture me and it seems, you know, more welcoming than masculine energy because you need to be strong and you need to be tough and you're going to get hit and you need to be in the sports and you, you know, you got to be super on girls, even though you're like 12. Yeah. You can't cry. can't show emotion. Emotion. Yeah. yeah. Man. Yeah. Like I remember like, it's going to sound fucked up. Like these people are like, they're close to me now, but like as a kid, I used like, I had older cousins who would beat me up to like prove to me that you don't have to say ouch when you're getting hurt. Cause they felt like I was too soft. Wow. Yeah. And what did that, what did that teach you? Like, I mean, they were trying to teach you something, right. But like, what was the actual outcome of that? Like, what did you really learn? Not to show pain. Wow. Okay. And that's something that wow. I do it to this day. Like, like I'll get like, like I'll like get a serious ass cut and like try to walk it off. Yeah. And they'd like, people will see it and like, it, you know, it'd be deep. And they're like, you look good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm, I'm gonna walk this off. I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Dang. And do you think that's ever like, does that also stem into like emotional vulnerability? Is that prevented you from being, able to express yourself in certain ways that you wish you could um or has poetry been something that you like could use and you're like okay cool i can't express it pain through like you know crying about it or anything or showing any pain but i can write it was it yeah and then that's what it was for a while because i was gonna say like it wasn't until like i started working at quicksilver and like i met all those people from there and just like I really appreciate that job because it just helped me understand being a person with emotions. Yeah. And interacting with the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so like once I started working there, that's when I started to get more open about like the stuff that was going, that was going on inside of me. But definitely like, I would just write it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody I would write it. And like, I was just having a conversation with my girlfriend too. Like, like I have the mentality to like, no matter what's going on, no matter like if like I have a lot of like anxiety about things that is going on in life or I don't feel right about a situation, I'm going to just move on from it. I'm not going to address it. Like I'm going to just try to move on to, from it and try to make myself a better person. So either I don't bring on that same situation or, or it's something that I, I can never, um, what am I trying to say? Um, it's something that I'll, I will never come back into my life. Like I just try to be better than that situation instead of like addressing it to fix it, to never run into it. I'm just like, okay, it happened, didn't happen. And I'm not going to ever run into it. Mm-hmm. Do you think that how many times in your life has that happened recently? Um, well, recently, so I would say when I was in college, I talked to my dad about a lot of the stuff that I had, went through with him because he actually called me and addressed me about it wow and so he addressed it was it when was before that conversation when was the last time that you spoke with your father um so legally by the court order i had to go and stay with him uh during holidays okay how was that was it something that because you said i didn't i didn't care for it had to go okay because it wasn't something that you wanted to do he didn't even like, he wasn't, he wasn't the one who was watching us. It was his new wife. 
Wow. And these were during yeah. holidays. So like Christmases and stuff. So my dad, my dad works as a longshoreman. So he works out in the docks. So like holidays aren't existing in his, his line of work. Mm-hmm. So it's just whenever he's off kind of, kind of deal. So it would be, and then mind you, this is the woman that he stepped out on. Your mom. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm supposed to be cool with hanging mm-hmm. out with. Right. Wow. Okay. So then after, but that was a period of time where that was required to happen. But I think, I mean, eventually they were like, you don't have to do that anymore. And you were an adult. And then did you sort of sever ties with your dad? Um, well, I wanted to move back to California. So I had, I lived with him for like eight months when I moved back. Hmm. Cause he was in and, Florida. Oh no, my, uh, yeah. Cause I was in Florida and my dad lived in California still. Uh-huh. So I wanted to move back. I didn't really have too much of a plan. So that was, you know, my way of getting back and having a place to stay. And then I got my job transferred over to from Quicksilver in Florida to Quicksilver in downtown Disney. Got it. And then were you, what was your feelings about your relationship with your dad at that point? Was it something that you felt could be, you know, rekindled and, you know, rebuilt or was it something that you think was too far gone at that point? You had no intentions of rebuilding your relationship with him. Um, at that point in my life, cause, uh, part of the reason why I wanted, I, I came back is cause I started getting involved in like drugs and, and selling and all that stuff in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like I needed, a, I, I needed that father figure in my life and I figured, okay, it's been some years, you know, since, you know, where I was being forced to visit him. So maybe if I'm there, you know, by my own will, maybe I can get some insight from him, which I, I feel like now that I look out from the outside of that situation, I, there was a lesson in it, but in the moment I was like, he, he just kind of like leaving me to the wind and I didn't really get too much of a guiding hand mm-hmm. from him. So initially you went over there with intentions to hopefully seek out some sort of guidance from your dad and then you know, it didn't really pan out that way. He was more neglected in a way. Yeah. And then like, I wasn't a kid anymore. So his wife could like openly show me that she didn't care for me. Yeah. Wow. So you're so living in a hostile that, environment. Yeah. It was just that constant. And then like, that was a point in my life too, where I knew I wanted to be a creative and they, you know, it's black families. They don't like, you're not, you're not saying rapper or athlete is not making money. So go get a job. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of conflict out of that. Cause, um, you know, I wasn't doing what they felt was the correct thing. Yeah. Did you, did they just to rewind real quick, growing back, yeah. growing up, did you grow up with like arts and, you know, poetry and music and any of that? Or is that anything that was a part of your, uh, growing up? Uh, well, growing up, like, uh, I've always been like super introvert. So like my mom would like get me to like, say how I'm feeling by getting me, like, she was like, Oh, you want to like write a story? So she would write it out for me. So right. Like my mom introduced writing to me mm. from very young. Okay. So that was always a part of your. Yeah. Backbone. Yeah. Okay, she cool. like, she would have me like journal, especially when my parents got divorced. Like, uh, my mom had me take therapy. So they were like super about like journaling. Yeah, man. Your mom sounds like a very like supportive and good human being. Yeah. Yes. Uh, super like wonderful lady. Like, yeah, no. uh, 
like you know like and she you know she she has her moments where she can't understand what i'm doing but she's still like okay like if this is what you're doing like like 110 percent, let's do it yeah was it interest or what was the dynamic of having uh a loving and caring relationship with your mother and then a hostile and sometimes just like tremendous like negative relationship with your father was that a weird paradox to live in yeah it, it was really weird like uh i remember uh for like so when i was super young in high school i wanted to be uh i wanted to pe- be a pastry chef so i started doing like uh, oh, wow, competitions man. that's awesome that's so yeah, cool i, I never started, knew that. I, yeah yeah i did uh competitions i was a part of this program it's called pro start and wow. in high schools they only offer it up to level three but i got to level eight from like just like taking tests and going to competitions jeez man and that's awesome yeah, and it's something I it's something I I wanted to do because I I noticed my dad would cook a lot, so I figured if I started doing that, he would get into it. But then I told him I wanted to do pastries, and he was like, "Oh, only women bake." Dang! I was like, wow. <laughs> so you went like, into yeah, it initially to try to build impress him. Uh, yeah, damn, dude, and that's his fucking wow. That's heavy, man, for him to be like, "Nah, <laughs> that's not good enough." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, no, that girls do that." Wow. Wow. It's like, Oh, okay. And that's what, you know, my dad has always, my dad was the person who laid out what's manly and what's not to me and then stepped out. So that's why I was confused. You know, I was like, okay, he was telling me Mm -hmm. what's manly, what's not. And now he's not here. And I, you know, I identify as a, you know, a heterosexual male. So, uh, what, like, what is it? Yeah. No, man, of course that's tough to have someone, you know, tell you how to act and then act differently than what they're telling you and then not be there for you when they, you know, I don't know. That's rough. So did yeah. you feel like when you were getting into that, it didn't deter you, even though he said baking was for women or whatever he said it, you were like, whatever, I still like it and I'm still going to continue to do it. Well, no, that, that, that actually kind of broke that for me. Wow. Okay. So you were done after that. You're like, all right, fuck it. Well, I slowly started to get out of that. Cause then I like, uh, that really hurt me. Like, cause I wasn't expecting that from, cause I, I forget the conversation, but I had just done something like pretty dope. I met Paula Dean and wow. I was like calling him to tell him about this. And then he laid that on me and I was just like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. So then was what, like, what was next after that? Did you, was it something where did he change your, I guess, motives going into finding something? Was it not really about trying to get closer to your dad anymore you're like all right now i'm gonna do it for me or was it something where you're still like all right let's try something else well no yet again like my mom like she came in with something else that got me hooked she bought it was a a little uh you do screen printer Hmm. and she she got it like super cheap from somebody and she was like oh you can make your own t-shirts with this and i was like oh stupid whatever mom and Uh uh-huh you know, I started getting into skateboarding and I like remember she had bought that machine. I was like, oh, I should make T-shirts for my little skate team. Like, cause you used to ride around the city, you know, hit stairs and stuff like that. Yeah. So I started uh, making graphic designs on paint mm-hmm. and then I would, you know, print it out and you know, make the whole screen. And then I would print out shirts for everybody that was in my little team. And like, that's how I started getting into fashion. Cause I was just, um, I just started making shirts for all my homies that we would skate around. And then like people at my school saw it. So they were like, Oh, let me buy some. And I started doing that. And then, uh, that's when I was like, Oh shoot. Like 
I can make money from this. And that's when I, I, I learned about graphic design. And then my brother at the time who was in college, he came back to Florida for the summer, for summer break. And he saw me using paint and he was like, you know, there's this thing called illustrator, right? That's like 20 times better than paint. Uh-huh. And that's kind of like what like brought me to the shift of like what my create was. Like it took me from like cooking to just like digital illustrations. Yeah. And what was, did that open a whole different the window of just expressing yourself beyond, I mean, you were still doing poetry at the time and you were still trying to like find different facets of expressing yourself, but did it become something where you were able to dive into it more and kind of like, I guess, look for more inspiration and people that you could look up to in that field and maybe find inspiration into like, Oh, I can do that kind of thing. Um, I, it took me a while to actually start looking up artists. Like I just was more influenced by, I mean, I guess artists, but it was more of the, like the cartoons and the animes I watched growing up. Like it was just mm-hmm. that stuff that was always around me. So, you know, naturally when I started getting into it, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm gonna start making Dragon Ball Z characters. Let's go. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. You know? So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I just kind of started, um, looking at like, cause I, I, I've always been creative. So I started looking at doodles I used to do when I was younger. So I tried to redo them on illustrator. Now I, you know, I understood how to use it. And that's, um, uh, that's how I came up with my first brand, which is, uh, Alpha Geechee and Marley. It was the first three characters I like sat down and like designed. They were like little squirrel cat characters. Mm. And one was out, Al- one was Alpha, one was Geechee and one was Marley. And they, they were just like, my my thing from the beginning, I always wanted to just, um, because I felt like I represented, you know, diversity. I wanted to make something that was, um, that welcomed people of that kind, you know, like uh, each character just represented a different social group. Sure. So, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's where I, I started that off on. That's cool, man. So yeah. then uh, what did that look like? Did you, you know, was it just something where, you wanted to make t-shirts and get into that designing and just do it for fun or did it, what did you see it as a business kind of opportunity or a job or something in the future that you could get deeper um, into? I've always, I've always been like super business minded. Like I, I knew from very young, I wanted to own my own business. Like I used to sell uh, candy in elementary school. And mm-hmm. so I always knew like I wanted to sell something. I wanted to be my own, you know, my own boss, you know, come up with my own company. So, um, but at the time it was just, it was just fun and it was fun and people were buying it from my school. So I was like, you know, the whole thing was fun. So I was like, Oh, I'm gonna keep doing this kind of thing. It wasn't, what's funny enough when I like sat down and like tried to brand myself and then I went to school and passed out catalogs, people were like, Oh, I don't want to buy none of this. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. Um, for more of like, uh, I guess more like psychological question. And I don't know if this is like too deep or anything, but was that one of the first times in your life that you felt like reassurance and support for something that you were doing? Yeah. My, uh, my brother is my number one fan, man. Like he, he, he puts me on this stuff so I could better myself. So that, that made me feel really good. Cause like he, yeah, at the time I didn't have my own computer or anything. So he was coming back from school and he was like, you know, he gave me his laptop and was like, you can use it while, while I'm here. So like super supportive dude, uh, super creative artist. 
And uh, yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate him every day, man. Like he, he really uh, lit that fire in me. Cause he, uh, he saw how good I was at cooking. And then like, I just stopped everything. I was just like sitting at home, like not doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So he, he really uh, inspired me to like go forth as like a, a creator. Yeah. Did it become something at that point where were you still getting flack from relatives and friends or whatever that you were doing quote unquote, like white boy stuff? Was that something that was still coming your way or was it something that wasn't coming as often and you didn't care about because it didn't matter to you as much? No, that that was, that was still going on. That's, that still goes on now. It's just the difference about now is I don't care anymore. Then it it bothered me a lot because it was, I, to me, I wasn't intentionally trying to do something to be different. It was just like, oh, this is cool. I want to do it. Right. And he, yeah, so everything that you felt like you did was being looked at and, you know, criticized in a way. Was there anything that you did that people were like, oh, cool, man, that you looked back on and you were like, why do they like when I do this and don't like when I do that? And, you know. Yeah. Um, when I play football, like my family started coming to watch me play football, like super supportive, but like nobody showed up when I had, like I was going doing little cooking shows and competitions. Like, so it was like, you'll come watch me play a sport, but you won't come watch me like cook food. Yeah. Wow. What did that do for you as far as like your creative outlets were diminished in a way, right? Cause you, we're looking at it not necessarily just from how I guess anyone would go into something and they're like, Oh, I like this. That's why I'm going to go into it. But for you, it was like, I like this, but also how is it going to be perceived if I go into something like that? Was that always in the back of your head? And is it still in the back of your head always when you do something? I mean, now I move how I want to move, but like then, yeah, like that stopped me like very much. So. Yeah. Was there anything yeah. that you wish you like, went into that you didn't because you were afraid of that? I wish I would have gone into music like full hearted. Like I, and when I was in high school, I took like a beat production class. Like I recorded like two songs, but it was just like the whole stigma behind it. Like I really didn't want to be another black boy trying to be a rapper. But like when I listen to music, I like even just like instrumentals or just like, uh, like simple, like simple, like instrument sounds. Like I see, I see words, man. Like I like music brings words to my mind and it was something it's always been like that. So I denied myself that, that for a long time. Yeah. But you did. I mean, eventually you were making music, man. And I think the songs that you've made recently, the ones that I've heard have been really, really good. And I'm glad that, you know, you, you didn't just completely not go into it. You know, you still, made music and you still put your art form out there. And I'm, I'm grateful yeah, for that cool. because I think it was fundamental in me as well as someone who wanted to get into music, seeing you and the, you know, the progression and the way that you wrote songs, it was based in poetry. And that made me think of it differently. And I think that was something that I really did appreciate because I didn't necessarily have that in my life. I think that a lot of people that I grew up with that were making music and writing rap and stuff, it was coming from a completely different non-poetic standpoint and then when i heard you rap and the way that you put songs together it changed kind of like my mindset and i like appreciated that and now to hear that it was something that you almost like never would have gone into and that you were always like kind of like skeptical about man that makes me like 
and it trips me out just because i don't know you inspired me in a way you know yeah no i i appreciate your kind words man but like i i honestly have to think you know that feet to uh john boy because like um you know he would he would always see me like riding when we kicking in and stuff like that and he freestyles all the time you know and you know he asked to see my notebook one day and he was like yo you need to rap. And I was like, nah, I, I'm cool. I'm not trying to be another black rap. I'm cool. And he's like, nah, this is hard, man. I was like, nah. And he was like, well, the next time you hang out with me and I'm freestyling, you're going to freestyle with me. And I was like, nah, I can't do it. And then like, for sure, like every opportunity, like we out with, you know, friends, I didn't know of his, you know, too well yet, you know, they're having a cipher and then he hands it over to me. You know, I'm looking stupid cause I don't want to say nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just kind of, you know, I, I, just started doing it more because I think he could see from like, you know, because we were just sitting and listening to the beats and he'll see me write, you know? So it was funny for me to be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But it well, became something that you were more confident in it down the line. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took time. Like, it's just about, I mean, any, any craft you get into is just about doing it more to find your confidence, you know, find that stride. Yeah. Did um artists like, I know Tyler, the creator and these people from Los Angeles, this odd feature group, did that have any like inspiration on you in the way that they are definitely more of an eclectic group of people that made rap music were, you know, black people living in that community, but also skateboarding and also being into um, fashion the same way that you are being into like cooking and stuff, you know, like a lot of parallels. Did you see something like that and go like, oh, shit there's people like me out there. Well, it was funny at the time when they, they came out, I didn't like how, uh, I didn't, I didn't appreciate how Tyler was marketing himself as like, just so obscene and wild, mm. but, um, yeah. The demonic kind of thing in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But like very early on, like, um, uh, Earl, Earl's always been that dude for me. Like I, mm. like mm-hmm. Earl and Sid, um, they for sure were that, that view for me, but, two artists for myself that I looked to for that kind of like standing out of boundaries, um, was, uh, Pharrell Williams and Lupe flat fiasco. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. Like, like Lupe fiasco is why I started skateboarding. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like hands down. That's the only reason why I picked up a skateboard. Cause he made a, he made a rap song about it. Yeah. Was it something that like you wanted to try, but then, you almost like, we're like, I can't do that. You know? And then he made a song and you're like, Oh shit, I can do that. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I, n- I never saw a black person do it. I saw the music video and I saw him grind and then do a kickflip. I was like, Oh, I was like, I had a skateboard, you know, just like one of those little cheap ones. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I didn't think of it that way. You know, I just saw white people do that, but I saw him do that. I was like, Oh, Oh, I want to do that. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's cool. Yeah. So that was, that was something that, was fundamental in changing your approach to like skateboarding and stuff. And then for Pharrell, I mean, if you don't know who Pharrell is, you can go fuck yourself. Uh, Yeah. For real. (laughs) um, He is obviously like, you know, musical icon with like the Neptunes and everything, but then also a fashion icon and someone who's been timeless in almost everything that he's done. Yeah, man. He's somebody I, I, on a daily try to like emulate. Like I, I like watching all of his interviews, even though he hates interviews. But mm-hmm. I like just watching his content and like just getting in a perspective on his mind because it, I, I understand him a lot. Yeah. Did it feel, yeah. what were like the landmark moments of finding these artists and, you know, the first time that you felt 
like, I don't know, did you feel like you were being represented in a way for the first time? Yeah. It's like, uh, I don't know. It's like a, a heart warm, warming kind of like sensation. Yeah. Like, uh, like, like, especially like I'm, uh, you know, I'm very like, uh, like my love, love language is words. So anything like words really, I really pick up on and like just listening to him and this, like how he was talking. Like it wasn't, he's not no, like, he's not like your typical rapper who's going to make a song about like ass and titties and throwing ones in the club, mm-hmm. you know? So it, like hearing a lot of his stuff, put some, you know, just it showed me that there was other, it's not just one cut dry formula. Yeah. And has that been instrumental in just, you said you try to emulate that in everything that you do every single day. How does that look in a, like a grander scheme? What does the next like year, couple years look for you? Um, so I, what I'm trying to do is for the next year, two years, I'm trying to step back and really um, hone all of my, my basic skills. Like I feel like I've been in a rush to like, achieve all these grand goals and like I I have made progress and I I have a hard time admitting that to myself but I feel like I'm at a point where I need to like step back and like see what it was that initially got me on this journey and like with this quarantine time that's what I've been doing so I've been uh I've just been doing more graphic design stuff because I just want to elevate my art and be able to, to touch more uh more areas in the art world. Like I, I like, I like fashion is my passion, but then like graphic design is what got me into to that. So that's why I'm at, at the point where I need to get better at graphic design. And then maybe once I'm uh, close out of mastery to that, I could, you know, tap my feet back into fashion. So right now I'm, I'm all about building my skills. So I'm hoping I could just uh, like build up clientele, just doing graphic work. Uh, I have my company that I changed from, it used to be all G, all G material, but now mm-hmm. it's material. Okay. And so I'm just basically focusing on putting out content. I'm just want to, um, brand myself better mm-hmm. and not, not be in a rush to be the, like this, this cool ass brand. Like, and that's also a lot what I've had to learn. Cause I was, I was faking a lot of who I was trying to be cool. And I'm at a point now where I'm like, nah, like uh, I'm myself, this is what it is. And I need to, I need to step back in my art to make sure my art says the same thing. Yeah, man. Big time. That's awesome. I think that's a, I think that's a pivotal time in, you know, everyone's life when they start to realize like, it's about the self-worth and self-identity and having that self-love and, um, you know, moving from that. And I think it's really important, you know, like going back to basics and using this time to understand like the foundation of what your dream is built on, you know, what you really, you know, want to do and what you inspire to be or aspire to be, sorry. Um, but I think one interesting thing that you said there that I don't know if you want to talk on is Mm. it's hard for you to admit that you've made progress. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm ultimately like, I mean, it's a cliche quote, but I'm like my worst enemy. Like, uh, I'm so hard on myself. Like I'm the biggest critic like ever, like, uh, like I have a hard time, like saying I'm proud of myself. Like the a current thing that like I, I've had to come to terms with like during this quarantine and just having so much time with my thoughts is that like, 
I, I felt like I, I, so I started working in production. Like I started, you know, setting up for like concerts and conventions and stuff like that. And I felt like I was like selling out on my dream for a while because like I found a, you know, well-paying job that like, it you know, it still dealt with art a little bit, but it's just more like setting up uh, uh, stages or stage design. And like that kind of hurt me on that. And, you know, I was still making moves with my businesses and like I was, I started doing cut and sew and, you know, I, um, you know, I made my company from a sole proprietor to LLC and I just wasn't letting myself, I, I, I didn't let myself see all the, the accomplishments I was making, even from like, you know, I was from when I was working at Quicksilver, like and I was working full time, going to school full time. But I, you know, I didn't want to give myself a break at that point. And I told myself, you know, I'm always telling myself I'm not doing enough. And I don't know that's just a constant battle I, I have always. Like I'm not doing enough or I don't know what it is I should be doing. So I never feel like I can give myself that like pat on the, you know, the pat on the back. Like, you know, you did it. It's complete. And like I was listening to, um, I think it was the last, your last podcast. And I kind of agree with that guy. It was like, uh, he was just like finding that thing to like complete you like that ultimate, mm-hmm. like satisfaction mm-hmm. is. And I feel like I, the way I view the world around me, I like until I get that, I can't be like proud or give myself like, you know, the hurrah for that accomplishment. Yeah. Do you think that there's been steps that you've taken to get better at that? And for people that are listening right now, the same way that you relate to my last episode, which is Vincent Nguyen, who Mm. talked about that, he, you know, was talking about how, yeah, he's looking for that one thing to, you know, complete and feel more connected with like himself and everything. But for you, do you think that there, you know, you're saying you haven't fully got there, but has there been little steps that have made you be a little bit more, you know, aware of the accomplishments and for people that are listening and then connect with what you're saying, what can they do to like slowly feel better about it? Um, excuse me um i think there there has there has been moments that like um i think i was on tour with uh chomney and you know for me that was a moment where i could I, i sat back and i was like wow like i really like i worked hard enough to bring myself to this point to where like you know, I'm getting paid right now and I'm watching, you know, I'm at a festival and I'm getting paid right now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just like, a, a, a last year I finally got my own apartment and, you know, I didn't let myself celebrate that, but like, um, you know, like my girlfriend and my brother, and my mom are people, are the people who sit there and remind me of a lot of those things. I say for like anybody out there, like, just make sure you, like, if you, if you, if you, agree with how I'm feeling or if it hits you in any way, like really try to have people around you that genuinely believe in you. Cause for me, that's, that's my driving force in this world. Cause I, I, I can be very pes- pessimistic at times. So it's just like, sometimes it's like nothing matters. So I'm not going to do anything and something. Sometimes it's like nothing matters. So I want to experience everything. So I appreciate having those people in my life to be like, like I believe in you and like, you need like see what you've done. And, you know, that 
that makes me like step back. Cause I see how, you know, sometimes I see how hard, how hurt they can be when I don't see it in myself. So it, it forces me to sit there and be like, hold, hold up. Like, you know, let me self-evaluate and really look, look at the situation. If, it, if I wasn't looking at it as me. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. It's really good. Um, and then I think, you know, as we're like nearing the end of the interview or whatever, but mm more or less just, you know, you want to speak on like how, you know, someone that may be watching the news and everything that's happening in the world right now, as far as like, you know, the protests and social injustice and all that. Um, do you have any like words as someone who is a person of color to, you know, everyone that's like watching all this and trying to like come up with ideas and opinions and you're just seeing so many so much stuff being circulated around the internet and everything yeah um it's funny enough i was just talking to jojo before you called and uh he was just saying like somebody was trying to come and come down on him because he's not black but uh the thing i want to say is like at times like these like we need to stop finding reasons to fight within ourselves we need to unite as like not only people of color but just like people of peace, man. Like if, if you're about just like being a person and living a normal life, like come together behind this cause. Cause that's what it is. Like that's ultimately what the fight is. Like we just want to live the same life with the same resources, with the same opportunities. Yeah. That's so great. I think it, it's, we just need to come together behind something and stop fighting things to divide us and what makes us different. Like we're all special in our own way and that should make us a group. Yeah. And that. Yeah. That's really good, man. Awesome. Well, um, how can people connect with you and how can they find your material and your poetry materials? Literally the name of your company, right? Yes. Material is literally the name of my company material. Um, you can check us, uh, check us out at all G material.com. Um, or you could find me at, uh, Don, underscore underscore Kristan that's C-H-I-R-T-T-O-N or you can find me at A-G-M underscore C-O awesome man well hey yes. man thank you for sitting down I appreciate you no that, I, I appreciate you man like uh, I enjoyed coming on here again in the talk and again like uh, I thank you for this opportunity to like just get my story across Thank you for tuning in to The Double Life. If you can, please contribute to organizations across the country that are fighting against injustice that took place against George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and countless other people of color across this country that have been killed or treated unfairly. Please educate yourself, learn, and go out and vote.